ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tarek Ansari Experience. Be sure to fasten your seatbelts and keep your hands inside the ride at all times. Are you ready? Because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Oh my gosh, how many shows do you know have a roller coaster as the introduction? I'm telling you, Howard Stern doesn't have that. I don't see Joe Rogan having that. Therefore, I am better than both of them. That is how logic works, ladies and gentlemen. I went to the school of rock. Uh, anyway, welcome to the Tarkin and Sorry Show. Hope you're having a wonderful Monday. We've got a huge and great show coming up for you today. We've got Face to Face with Nicole Jennings of Kyber Radio in just a couple of seconds. Uh, we're going to be talking about Canada. Finally, letting Americans in. It's been too long. In fact, they might forget that we uh, we don't speak as much French as them. But uh, anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, also, we've got a possibility that mass mandates inside might be reinstated throughout the country, especially in Washington and California, after an uptick in cases and a standstill at vaccination rates. Plus, later on, I get pissed off about the San Francisco rent market being absolutely ridiculous. And I mean absolutely ridiculous, to the point where you have to be working over $200 a week to afford rent. By the way, there's less than 200 hours in a week. It's craziness. It's absolute craziness. But we'll get to that in a little bit. First up, we've got to introduce our guest for Face to Face today. That guest's name, of course, from Cairo Radio, one of the finest reporters I know, Nicole Jennings. Thank you for having me on. This is exciting. Yes, indeed. It's uh, one of the most popular podcasts hosted by a guy named Tarek ever. I uh, I bet. I, I believe that. You believe that? I, I haven't confirmed with my sources, but I I'll go with uh, <laughs> I'll go with uh, self opinion on that as the source. But anyway, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, this segment we like to call face to face. We go to face to face on these issues, but we have to do it with this excellent Daft Punk music. I mean, we just we just gotta. We have to. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember when that song came out, I was just two years old, but we'll pretend that I was uh, much older than that. Uh, it's a classic <laughs> there. But let's get into it. All right. So the big news. This just happened an hour or two ago. In fact, you actually had to uh, you had to start this a little later because you had to you know get, get in on this new story. Canada is finally opening its borders to Americans beginning on August 9th. Uh, Nicole, I... Uh, I want to get your insight on this and some details on it because I just I just have the headline right in front of me. So what does this mean for us Americans that want to go up to Vancouver? So this means if you've been missing Vancouver as much as I have, which is just <laughs> doubly so during the summer because there there are so many fun outdoor things to do up there when the weather is great. This means this is the day that you have been waiting for for a year and a half now. I think I'm pretty sure this is the longest ever in border history that, that the U.S.-Canadian border was closed. I mean, because even on the peace arch, you know, it says brethren dwelling together in unity. And the, the whole idea behind the peace arch was that the border would never close even in times of war. And now here it is. We've had a year and a half of it closed, but it is reopening again for non-essential purposes. So for recreation or for travel, the only caveat is that you have to be fully vaccinated if you're an American, I mean, Canadians too. Um, and then you also have to get a negative test, which I thought was really interesting mm. because a lot of the European countries that are starting to reopen to international travelers, as long as you can show proof of vaccination of full vaccination, both doses, you don't have to take a test. 
So I thought that was really interesting that Canada is kind of requiring that double layer of protection. But I'm guessing it's just because they've been so cautious this whole time. I know they don't, I don't think they quite have the the fully vaccinated numbers that we do. Um, Some people up there are, you know, getting their first dose and then having to wait two or three months to get their second dose. So they just have had supply issues. And I think this is just their way of, you know, making double sure that they're not going to be letting COVID cases into the country. Interesting, interesting. So what you're saying basically is I could be fully vaccinated for months and months uh, with either the vaccines, even the the best, which is obviously Moderna, because that's the one I got. And I am am absolutely the best, self-proclaimed. But what you're saying is I could be fully vaccinated and still have to take a COVID test? I mean, is that a little ridiculous or... Yeah, and and it's a little bit tough because on the timing of this, I mean, I haven't had a test for more than a year, so I don't know, they might have gotten faster now, but you have to take the test within 72 hours of when you want to enter Canada, but then you also, you know, have to allow long enough time that you'll have the results and can show that it's negative. So it's going to be a little bit of a of a timing game there, and you might have to pay some money to take a rapid test because I understand that those are, uh, they're not the free ones, but they're also the fastest ones. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm willing to do anything to go back to Canada. I miss it so much. Yeah, I honestly, I have never been. And when I moved up back in, I want to say this is August of last year, when I moved up to the greatness that is Seattle, I had the feeling like, well, you know what? In a few months, I'm going to be able to go to Vancouver. I'll be able to, you know, go and do all that, whatever Vancouver people do. I knew nothing about it, but I (laughs) anticipated it being nice. And now, finally, a year later, here we are. But uh, it's just, it's a little... Like, don't you do you feel like this is uh, a response to the covid uptick uh, the last couple months in the in the U.S.? Like, do you think Canada has put this together in a like, is this something that would not have been the case if they had reopened two months ago? Because it feels like a very much a reaction to uh, the sudden uptick, especially with in the news with Texas Dems. It just does it feel like a bit of a a bit of a reaction I, I mean, I think it's a reaction worldwide just to the, the Delta variant and all the different variants and the unknowns going on. I mean, Canada, of course, has very close ties to Europe. They're a British Commonwealth country. French is one of their official languages. Um, so I think, you know, with with those strong ties, they've been seeing what's been going on in Europe where there have been some problems with variants and things and, and you know, slower time rolling out the vaccine. And so I think they just have kind of this global outlook where they're just really wanting to proceed with caution. Um, and, you know, and I respect that. I completely understand that but i'm really glad that now the people who you know did the safe thing the responsible thing went out and got that vaccine are finally going to get the reward of being able to to go up to canada and to, to help you know help their their tourism economy and help their small businesses who are relying on on travelers from america yeah and let's hope that point roberts gets um you know uh, some benefit yes. here because they i mean we had what was it 60 minutes or cbs uh, sunday morning was all over that story like half a year ago and oh, yeah. yet here we are and that city is still struggling mightily so hopefully this does something for them i mean seriously what a beautiful town uh, that's been it will over. yeah and, and this will help what point roberts really needs so is for the u.s border to reciprocate and open to canadians as well which i think will probably be announced in the next day or two because the border closure expires on wednesday so i, I think we can we can count on that announcement happening because the u.s has really been raring to go and the only reason they've been taking the more cautious approach is to kind of stand with canada unified but i think now that canada is opening i'm pretty sure the u.s border will but but the reason why point roberts really needs that is because something like 
like 70% of the homes there are, you know, summer homes, vacation homes yeah. owned by Canadians. And they haven't been able to get there. I mean, the homes are overgrown, the properties. And then the business owners that are really relying on that summer tourism boom it, it haven't been getting that now for a second summer in a row. But certainly the Americans who have second homes there, the American day trippers will be able to go to Point Roberts now. So that will definitely help. I just hope that, that Canadians will also be allowed in just so that the their businesses can get the revenue that they that they rely on. Absolutely. I mean, it's something we've got to see soon uh, in that in such a beautiful and just it's just a grief, not grief stricken, but it's like COVID stricken town. That's a new term mm-hmm. we just came up with uh, this last year. Uh, however, it does also mention international travelers may be allowed to enter Canada beginning September 7th uh, with who are unvaccinated or like who do not have to prove vaccination. So like August 9th, fully vaccinated citizens who have to prove vaccination and September 7th, they don't have to prove it like they won't be checking. Like uh, what is the significance between these uh, two dates here? Well, as far as I understand, September 7th, the difference there is that that's international travel. So people people who are flying into the airports from around the world, um, I believe they will still have to show proof of vaccination, though I didn't I haven't heard that they won't have to do that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's a mistake on my part here on the Tarkin and Sorry Show. Tark makes another mistake. It's the 3,000th one where he misreported something there. But you are right, though. It is for international travel. Very interesting, though. Just in time for... Um, you're just in time for the, for the fall. So hopefully, I mean, you, you got to think maybe they rebound this fall. I mean, you would love to see this mm-hmm. before the summer, but, you know, yeah. be- better late than never, I guess. <laughs> My sense from looking at this, and I really do want to do at some point a, a story on, on travel, really digging into when that will get back to normal. But my sense is that international travel is going to kind of rebound, you know, this fall where, where we're going to see these flights again and these countries opening up. And yeah, it is a shame for the businesses around the world that it didn't happen sooner for the summer boom, but maybe we'll see a fall boom. Yeah, I would. And I'd also like to see a fall in COVID cases. <laughs> because yes. the, COVID sucks. I don't know if you heard about this, but we've seen a recent uptick as I transitioned here to uh, all over the country, but especially in the Bay Area and in some of the big cities uh, throughout the United States of a COVID uh, uptick in cases, as well as a standstill, kind of a, a halt of vaccination rates uh, to the point where Bay Area, which where I, I was in just a couple of days ago, seven of the counties, the day I was there, announced that they are recommending that masks be required inside and there is reason to believe that will move on in the next couple of weeks from recommendation to enforcement and uh, this is met with a lot of a lot of apprehension because this is anticipated to be the same uh, result in, in like cities like Portland and Seattle coming soon again this is all uh, reports from CNN and not from you Nicole so I, I don't know if I fully trust it if it's not you uh, <laughs> but what is your thoughts on this like do, is this gonna happen are we gonna require masks inside again in a few weeks well, I mean, I've been asking the Department of Health, and I, I believe I asked Governor Inslee or, or another reporter did. I definitely remember reporting on it weeks ago, you know, just looking at the variants and all of the unknowns with that. And then keeping in mind that 30 percent of people, even though we've hit our vaccination goal, 30 percent of people are still unvaccinated. So they can be really spreading these variants, you know, like wildfire. So keeping that in mind, uh, the Department of Health and Governor Inslee have not said, no, this will never happen. They're kind of saying, well, never say never. 
hopefully we won't need to reintroduce mm. some of these restrictions such as mask mandates or you know rolling back to an earlier phase or something having to partially shut down things again they're hoping they won't have to do that but it's kind of just a waiting game with these variants and with vaccination i know they did say last week at their briefing that they are worried looking ahead you know three four five months down the line as we get into the cooler weather and fall and winter and people start to come indoors again that we could see you know like last year we saw the third wave in november that we could see another wave like that especially with variants as people are not gathering outdoors anymore so they say it's really a race against the time to a race against the clock to get enough people vaccinated to where you really don't have to worry about that spread yeah, yeah. Now, I wanna I wanna get an opinion Nicole here for a second because uh, it's very interesting to see how Washington obviously takes a stance on this. But the, the second part of this is that you've got a lot of states, including California, maybe Washington too. Again, I keep saying California. My my residency previously there is showing. But you know, there's a lot of parents and children who are unhappy with uh, California coming out and recommending and saying that uh, you know we should have masks in school, whether you're vaccinated or not, inside all year. Now, this is not being enforced in select schools and smaller schools and certain conservative areas because they feel this is unnecessary. Uh, now, I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think uh, masks in inside for, for, for schools, we'll, we'll, we'll start here just with schools here, with kids who are maybe, say, 60, 65 percent vaccinated, we'll go with that, we'll be conservative with that. Do you think that is necessary or is this being a little bit too protective, being a little bit too careful? Well, I guess it depends what age, because right now anyone under 12 can't get the vaccine. So I would say, yeah, that does seem like a pretty smart idea because they wouldn't be vaccinated. Fair, fair enough. Well, okay, so let's so let's assume like these kids. Okay, that's a fair fair point. Uh, so let's assume these kids, you know, they get pro- like they're able to get the vaccine in, uh, let's say by October. It's been a month kids can get vaccinated we we see a, a decent number of kids getting vaccinated but i guess let's let's head for the 12 to 18 area because those are kids who have been able to get vaccinated for a little bit now not a ton of time but a little bit uh do because I, I have a lot of a lot of younger siblings who know people who know people who know people you know how that goes the tree of, mm-hmm. of socialization that all works in middle school and high school who are unhappy very pissed angry like their face is reddening with fear i can just keep going with how many terms about having to wear a mask inside for school uh, for kids those age who are that who are upset who are who are kind of finished with this kind of thing do you think they should be told to wear a mask or should it be a recommendation uh, at this point you know i i think too much protection can't hurt honestly i mean it- I would rather see mask mandates than see rollbacks to phase three or phase two or see, you know, business businesses hurting and see this thing spread again. So I don't really have a problem with the mask mandates, to be honest. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated. I still wear my mask pretty much everywhere. I mean, definitely to the grocery store, anywhere where there are going to be crowds of people. And school is definitely a place where you're crowded together. So I, I don't really have a problem with it, no. Interesting. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. We obviously have a bit of a difference of opinion here, but that's all right. That's one thing I think I get established all the time. People yell at each other on the radio. You're wrong. I'm right. I don't think that's the case here, but that's a, that's an interesting point you bring up here uh, with crowds. I think that's uh, that's a fair thing to say. Uh, obviously, there is some anger there. Uh, now, let's uh, let's let's pull back here from the COVID talk for a second, because obviously, you know, it's a bit of a it's a heavy topic. Very, you know, very alienating to some people. Very heavy. 
Uh, I want to go to the Olympics here. Now, not per- I'm not going to the Olympics because of COVID, actually. But uh, like personally, I'm not going there. But this story is on the Olympics, and this headline. I just have to read you this headline because I, the fact that this is a headline in 2021 just cracks me up with how negative things have been. This is the headline from CNN on the story I'm about to talk about. Irish gymnast jumps on Olympic Village cardboard bed to debunk anti-sex fake news. Now, Nicole, this headline it has it gives a lot to, you know, live up to and it does not disappoint. Apparently, at the Tokyo Games, the officials for the Olympics are disencouraging uh, how should I say this? sexual activity among the uh, Olympic athletes by building these beds who that many people that were made out of cardboard, hardened cardboard, that has gotten a lot of critics saying that it's basically trying to prevent or like disencourage athletes from having you know, sex on them. However, athletes are coming out and saying this is fake news by jumping on the bed and yelling, "This it's it's fake news. It's not real." It's 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 just absolute craziness. I I think the the point I'm trying to make here is. Uh, it's just the, the the news cycle like nowadays. It seems so crazy that something like this would be a headline that we're talking about this. But that's that's where we're at now in 20, 2021 That the Olympic Games, you know, trying to prevent this has just been it's it's craziness. But it's just I, I just I mean, could you believe could you believe a headline like that being like the top thing trending everywhere? It's just it's yeah, it, it would seem like it would be a slow news day, and it's not. So <laughs> I'm surprised that's trending as much as it is. Yeah, exactly. I just I don't know. I mean, it's just it's one of those things that's a kind of like a, a little a little bit of a departure, like a, I don't know, happy departure, but like kind of a it's it's a it's a it's a slight slay away from all the COVID news that's been going on. Um, and I, and I know you've been doing a lot of work with the, uh, with the Canada border reopening and, um, a lot of stuff with Kyber radio as far as, uh, you know, getting us informed on Inslee's new mandates or, you know, things with COVID throughout the County. so I do, I want to, first of all, thank you for that. I appreciate all the work that you do and for coming on this show and for telling us, uh, all this, all this interesting stuff that, um, you know, that some may disagree with, but some will also be informed by, and it's, uh, it's really cool to have you on. Uh, it's always uh, always a pleasure, even though this is the first time I've had you on the show. And I well, I hope we hear, hear from you again uh, very soon. I would love to come back on any time. This has been fun. Absolutely. And you know what? We usually only give guests walk up music, but we're gonna be you know we're gonna give you a walk out music. All right? Because yeah. We walked you in with the police. We're gonna walk you out with the police, not the cops, but like the band because they're cool. You know, it's, <laughs> it's cool stuff. Uh, again, thank you, Nicole, for coming on uh, the Tarkin Star Show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back talking, uh, well, Bay Area rent. Why is it so much? You'll find out right after this. Seventies music bringing us back. It's Tommy Bolin with Post Toasty. It's a nine-minute song off his 1976 album Private Eyes. Uh, Bolin is one of those individuals that I think gets lost in rock history because he uh, tragically passed away uh, from 
a drug overdose at 26 years old. And uh, he played in several bands, but I prefer his solo stuff in the mid-70s where he just, I mean, you know, he had some great music. Like, you just heard a little bit of a taste there. We didn't even get a chance for him to, like, just swell out a guitar solo. It just could not begin to just play you 10 seconds of a guitar solo and then just cut it off because he uh, he was a maestro on the strings, let me tell you that. Uh, great album, by the way, Private Eyes, uh, that song Post Toasty. It is long, of course, but it's a... Uh, it's a good one. It's a really good one. Uh, and we've got one more story, though, here to transition from that. Before that, let me remind you, if you want to follow me on Twitter, the handle is Tarik Ans. That's T-A-R-I-K-A-N-S. And on Instagram, it's the same thing, except it's T-A-R-I-K dot A-N-S. If you're wondering why that's the case, why are they different? Well, you know, one of the many wonders of the world we'll never figure out, I guess. But let's get to our last story here. Uh, this one taking place in San Francisco, so we've got to get some cool hipster San Francisco music going, so... Oh yeah, that'll do. Yeah, it's the police right there. This story not about actual police, but maybe some people should be doing some policing on the rental market in San Francisco because it's ridiculous. It's on steroids, let me tell you something. And uh, this has a lot to do with, uh, well, my, with my experience, I was in San Francisco just a few days ago, a one-day trip to check out some places to possibly live at for this fall semester, and I was stunned by, I mean, even by San Francisco standards, how expensive it was, and I was not alone, because just about five days ago, the San Francisco Gate put together a report and it showed that San Franciscans on minimum wage need to work 4.9 jobs to make the average rent in the city. That's right. So the data shows that even if you earn if you earn minimum wage in San Francisco, which is eight, uh, $16.32 an hour, you need to work 4.9 full-time jobs a week to afford a fair market rent two-bedroom apartment. That's 196 hours more hours than there are in a week. So, you know... That, that That's crazy. And you might be thinking, oh, well, maybe that's a nationwide thing. Oh, no, it's not. In a state-by-state state comparison, nowhere in America is less affordable for a, li- for a low-income earner than California. So, for example, they've got a little map here of the entire United States. And on each state, they put together, you know, the amount, uh, amount needed per hour to cover rent on a two-bed home. So, you see, like, say, Kentucky. You need $15.78 to... Cover a two-bedroom home. Okay, let's go up to Michigan. Eighteen dollars fifty-five cents. Where I am right now in Seattle, pretty pretty hefty price. Twenty-nine dollars and thirty-one cents. Uh, Nevada's twenty-one dollars and eighty-three cents. But you go one state over from Nevada, it's thirty-nine dollars and three cents <laughs> an hour to cover rent on a two-bedroom home, and that's just the entire state of California. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's ridiculous how much money. It is to live in San Francisco. In fact, the hourly wage to rent a two-bedroom in San Francisco, on average, you would need $68.33 to afford to rent a two-bedroom apartment if you're living on minimum wage. That, that, that's ridiculous. And what's even more crazy is that the Bay Area makes up the top four unaffordable metro areas, with San Jose coming in second, which is incredible because San Jose was coming in first for quite a while, but SF took that number one. That's a trophy you don't want to have. Unless, of course, you know, you're a pathetic rich guy. 
Santa Cruz is third with $58.10. As I mentioned, San Jose second at $58.67. Oakland coming in fourth with the amazingly cheap price of $45.83. In fact, San Francisco, Marin, and San Mateo County are in a three-way tie for most expensive counties to make rent in America. I'm got I've got to tell you something. This is pathetic because we this we've been talking for years and years. And when I say we, I mean people in California, even people not in California have been talking about how expensive it is to live in San Francisco for years and years. And I all I hear is, you know, we're uh, we're, we're, we're from city government. We're working on this. We're going to uh, in, in focus on doing more to help this out. We're going to build affordable housing. Blah, 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 blah. I've heard that. Ten years of we're going to build affordable housing. Well, it looks like you're not building enough of it or you're not doing it right. Because here we are. And <laughs> we have a case where if you're working on minimum wage, which, by the way, quite a few people in San Francisco, especially my age, that have to work more hours than there are in the week to afford average rent. What are we doing here? Like, seriously. Why is it that when I go up to check out a room in San Francisco, which is what I was doing uh, just a couple days ago, I went to four different places. I luckily found a great place for an inexpensive price. I'm very gracious for that. But the first three, I uh, I was blown away because, you know, here's a small little, a little tiny bedroom, half the size of the studio, if that, you know, it, no, no lighting to be seen, you know, there's no furnishing. It's so it's not a bad looking room, but uh, okay, fine. How much is it? It's thirteen hundred dollars, and then you have to add utilities onto that. There's also house rules: no overnight guests, and if you're loud after ten p.m., that's another charge. Oh, by the way, you want to use the backyard? That's a hundred dollars. Oh, and you want access to the to the big uh, shower downstairs? That's another hundred dollars. Uh, so that comes out to sixteen. Oh, not to mention the one thousand dollar deposit, non-refundable. It's just like what? Okay, we don't live in a market of rich capitalists. This is ridiculous, all right? Or <laughs> a lot of these people who have to rent these rooms, which, by the way, quite a few because, you know, you've got all these expensive studios and two bedrooms and one bedrooms. We don't have that kind of money, all right? We got school, all right? We've got, speaking of school, we've got loans to pay off. And it just seems like this market that we are in right now is very much pro- I don't want to say pro-landlord, but it's not at the benefit of the renter. Now, on the other hand of that, this might also be uh, the result of the result of these eviction moratoriums. I have a theory here, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, so you know, send me a comment or whatever you think on this episode. Uh, I think these high prices, which by the way are higher, even higher than they were pre-COVID, are a backlash at the eviction moratoriums from landlords who say, "Oh yeah, well you know what? If if I can't evict them, I'm going to raise the price, trying to make you know make my margins work there. And if you don't like that, well then maybe you shouldn't have these moratoriums, which again is awful. But landlords they have to make money too. Uh, it's it's interesting. It feels like very much a, a standstill Western style gunslinger event, except it's landlords versus renters versus potential renters and they're all looking at each other like it's your fault no it's your fault no it's your fault but at the end of the day they just keep yelling it's a bunch of yelling and yelling and yelling and yelling and here we are at square one with (laughs) i mean there's no reason why it should take a 68 dollar hourly wage to afford a two-bedroom apartment in san francisco that is ridiculous. I don't care how expensive a city should be. 
I mean, it, it, Seattle's expensive. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's where you cap out the expense at San Francisco is where Seattle is right now. Which, by the way, in case you're wondering, it costs about $30 an hour to afford a two-bedroom, which is expensive, and that's on average in Washington. So, eh, raise that by about $5 or so, and you get what uh, San Francisco should be at at the most. Because I get being in an expensive city. I mean, San Francisco, San Francisco's got a lot going for it. But it's so inflated, this market is. It's just, it's sad. It's really sad because there's a lot of people I know who are trying to move to the city who won't be as lucky as me in finding a room for rent under $1,000, which is what I was able to do, luckily. And I, I feel fortunate I would got into that situation of being like the first person to find that place before everyone else jumped on it. A lot of people I know who are trying to move for school or trying to move for work are going to have to live at the edge of the Bay Area where it's cheapest. They'll have to super commute from Sacramento. They'll have to, you know, rent a room, but in Oakland, a tinier one for more than I'm paying. And that's not me trying to be, uh, to, to hold prejudice against them. That's honestly, that's just the, that's live, That's what it's like living in San Francisco. That is the price you pay for working, living in San Francisco. And I, I hate it because it's gonna, it's driving people away. It, the, the city is no longer the, you know, the, the love and peace and flowers that it was, say, well, I don't know, 50 years ago? You want to say 50 years ago? Maybe maybe 40 years ago? Because it's priced out of so many people. And we all wonder why, you know, all these people are going into debt for school and they're, you know, they're not able to pay off debt until like 20, 30 years down the line. Well, maybe look at how much people have to pay for their damn rent. Or even, here's another argument, how much they have to pay for tuition. I mean, when tuition is half the price or even less than half the price of the rent you pay, which in the many cases of these students in San Francisco for USF or SF State is the case, that, that, that you have a problem. You have a genuine problem. You want to fix a student debt? You got to look in other areas too. It's crazy. Just plain crazy. And I, I really hope that is a situation that gets fixed sooner than later because I, I hate, I hate the, I hate, I hate it. I know I said I hate like five times there, but it truly, it, it just, it just angers me so much to see. And then of course, when they advertise these places, these landlords, you know, it's a quaint, you know, cozy studio. It's close to everything. AKA we're overcharging this, making it sound as nice as possible because ha ha, he, 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 you have nowhere else to go. It's expensive in San Francisco. Suck it. That's got to change. But speaking of change, We've got to change ourselves to the end of the show. Oh my gosh, that transition didn't work. I know it didn't work. Not all of them are going to be winners. Not all of them. But that's the end of our show for this Monday. Our thanks to Cairo Radio's Nicole Jennings for coming on and talking to us about Canada, about uh, about COVID, especially COVID in California. What a California-centric episode. For a episode recorded in Seattle, we talked a lot about Cali today. I'm telling you something. Man. Maybe a Beach Boys vibe feeling? I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't very bright. Anyway, again, thanks to Nicole Jennings for joining us. We'll be back on Friday with more uh, awesome stuff, awesome podcasting. We might have Andrew Enzel again. Of course, these guests are booked last second. So if I make a promise we're going to have this person on, it tends to be something happens in between the week. I know what you're thinking. That's unprofessional, but I'm doing my best here, and I grateful that you're along for the ride. Uh, this is Tarek Ansari of the Tarek Ansari Show saying thank you again for joining us. We'll be back on Friday. Have a good rest of your day and week. <laughs>